All right, so welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast live coming from MEP Force. Thank you to our uh, our crowd here <laughs> at the, the conference. This is a, a whole new experience for us to be recording a live podcast while streaming in Nathan Wood uh, remotely. So thanks for joining us remotely. And Travis Voss, thanks for joining us here in person. Yeah, yeah, thanks for asking me. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we're here at MEP Force. The, the theme is Stronger Together. I want to take some time to really unpack what does what does that mean for the the real world, uh, and how do you how do you change the industry? So, uh, and not just talk about it, not just be the you know the the, the talking heads that, that come in and, and bloviate, but <laughs> how do you actually create the change in the the real world? I think that um, I mean that's why Nathan is here, right? And we've talked. You have talked about. Um, He's talked a lot about not just being academic about things, about having the talking heads. He's he with the, the CPC and foundation, everything like that. He he's releasing white papers. He's trying to encourage and influence people to really push that change um, through all parts of the industry. Yeah, and, and I think you know for for this audience, certainly in the conversations we've been having, Travis, in in the larger MEP committee uh, conversations and other things, is you know there's really two stages to to this change management of you know do we have our, our internal in house you know within a hell mechanical or within uh, any of these organizations uh, out there, you know do you have the right leadership and the right uh, kind of systems in place internally and then you know once you do there's still this whole other battle because we are in construction we work on projects with other uh, trade contractors other gcs designers engineers and so the, there's a sort of external battle that uh, is that next change management and so kind of just realizing like are we dealing with uh within our walls internal um or or do we feel like we've got a good culture there and ready to start ba uh, some of those battles with prefab and other opportunities uh that now involve external parties one of the, the things that stood out in, in Randy's keynote this morning was around the change management and the maturity mm -hmm. level. Uh, and, but then creating the, the culture of keeping the, the, the change and the, the excitement right. and getting that grassroots in there. How have you guys been doing that at home to, to keep the innovation? You guys have such a great, just natural, innovative spirit there. How do you keep that going? Well, I, I mean, you, you're right about the innovation, innovative spirit, and, and it does start with with Brian Helm, our president, that has that mindset. That I mean, it's not just he's got a growth mindset. He wants to keep growing the Helm Group, but um, growth for the sake of growth isn't always the the right thing, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you can you can boost your revenue up, but if your profits go down, you know what's the point? Yeah. Um, so there is that mindset there, and it does come from the top down of um, let's let's focus on change where change ma makes sense you know not everything you know, we are a successful company so not everything has to change mm -hmm. but um it is sending that mindset of, of trying to do something different and making it part of the culture mm -hmm. nathan on cpc on the getting back to kind of the pr practical side of, of making the change in reality you guys do the the workshops can you take a, a second and kind of unpack what the, the workshops is and what's the goal behind that yeah, I think, you know, Travis and I were having this conversation that uh, especially, you know, with with Brian and his vision, you know, Travis has had a pretty long leash to, to test out a lot of different cool tech and, and HoloLens and all these things kind of over the years. And 
I think what the sentiment that all those all of us tinkerers have come back to is that there's just some some foundational kind of blocking and tackling. You know, do we have the right leadership? Do we have the right culture? Do we have the right measurements of what performance is at, at the individual level, at the project level, at the organizational level? Um, and really kind of reassessing and, and as Adam Grant would say, rethinking um, a lot of these uh, kind of established truths and, and these sacred cows that uh, I think are, are part of the reason we're we're you know stuck in our rut now because the the technology is certainly no longer the barrier to success. It's it's really um, you know where we get in our own way from either a culture or uh, you know outdated practices that need to be updated and, and kept up to date. How do you start getting the data connected in? Uh, that's one of the things that I loved about the workshops that you guys did. Uh, really thinking back to the yeah, summit. Well, and, and it's. It's such a broad conversation, right? Because yeah, to, to to your question about the the summit and what we've been trying to do um, it, with this common data exchange language is understand that those of us that are are big tinkerers and technologists within the industry still don't really speak data and 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 don't come from the world that that Travis comes from and you know and and vice versa, right? That we need to learn from each other, and so having a visual language because we are all in construction visual thinkers. Um, that helps us understand, okay, here's my data as a trade contractor in my system of record, and there's going to be other systems of record, Procore and ACC and Neforma and otherwise that are going to be out in that world. And how do I, you know, work within my system, but still allow that through all this capability of APIs to share that with other people? You know, if we don't develop those blocking and tackling rules of how are we going to redo an RFI, how are we going to redo a submittal or a change order, any of these kind of painful uh, documentation parts of uh, the, these jobs that we love to do, um, the more that we can you know, speed up that documentation and standardize it, uh, we can get better industry analytics and, and start to do all the cool things that other industries are, are doing. But again, not until we have that foundation set, set in place. So, you know, we're kind of in a, a innovative bubble here, mm -hmm. I think, in large parts. How do you break out of that bubble to start hitting the, the critical mass of people understanding the, the language, Nathan, that you were just talking about, and connecting those dots, even if they're they're using different terms for that? Does that question make sense? So, so well, yeah, where's my coin to put in the, because <laughs> yeah, the, the term that, that Travis loves, you got to go slow to go right. fast, right? Or or uh, lo lower the water to, to see where the rocks are. And I think that's that's a lot of where we're at is um, by by going slower, by mapping out these workflows and seeing where things aren't working, we can really expose where those opportunities are. And too often we're just looking for that quick fix and don't build in the time to to actually understand and, and speak that same language. Um, so that we've, we've got a lot of work to do to build that common language. Um, and uh, yeah, I think, the workshops that we're doing and, and all this great stuff with CDX is, is just the, just the start of it. And I think that, um, I think that what I'm seeing happen is, you know, the, the maturity matrix, like I would say the helm group is probably a three, three and a half, four, somewhere in there, but then the industry, where's the industry lie? You know, mm -hmm. maybe a one or a two, but I think that we are starting to see people understand that, you know, we, we have to take those hard looks at ourselves. We have to, peel back the layers and see what's ugly because to Nathan's earlier point, like we threw a bunch of tech on it and stuff didn't get better. Well, right. that's because our, our processes aren't, aren't quite right. So um, I think that's what we're starting to see. Um, you know, organizations like the MCA, like CPC, SMACNA, NECA um, are really taking this theme of, you know, I almost said better together again, but stronger together. <laughs> stronger together. <laughs> back talk uh, doesn't help you. It doesn't, doesn't help me at all. <laughs> yeah. Um, but stronger together, um, you know, because, um, 
a, a Nathan Woodism again is, you know, we have to disrupt ourselves before we are disrupted. You know, um, Katera failed, but that doesn't mean the next one will. Mm -hmm. So we have to be prepared for that. And we, and we, we will be more successful if we work together, which is hard for us as an industry because we're generally combative. Right. Well, it's changing your mindset around it too, because to your point, you can't just throw tech at a problem and expect it to fix it. Right. You have to change, you go further upstream, change the way you're thinking about the workflow of it. Because mm -hmm. just adding tech to it is realistic. It's going to make the problem way worse. Right. Right. Because <laughs> you're just adding so much more complexity. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And that can happen inside your organization as well, right? Like the, the issues between an IT department and a, a VDC department or kind of different rifts, even within technologists, like that is the reality of the, these foundational misunderstandings and paradigm shifts that need to happen. So yeah, th those conflicts can happen inside your organization or they can happen, you know, due to this, all the external factors that we're all yeah. well aware of. It's because uh, my view, I don't think people slow down enough to actually take the time Plan right. it on the front side, think through it all. That, that, that seems like a waste of time in yep. the industry. Yep. Where really, that's such a huge time saver in the long run. If you take that time, map it out, get with the people that you need to be talking with on the front side and go, this is our goal. This is where we're going to. This is how we're going to get there. Map the plan out. That doesn't mean that you are stuck and you're rigid to it. Right. But it gives you the right. flexibility, I think, to adapt and change on the fly. Yeah, I, I agree. Is for, for an industry that's all about schedule and planning, we don't do a lot of planning. <laughs> um, and we don't do, and, and I, I think this is a Nathan thing again, we you know we don't spend enough time working in the business or working on the business, you know, instead of just working the business. Um, we, we really don't think about that. And, and some of it, you know, from a, from a specialty contractor point standpoint, I wouldn't, I don't want to say it's not our fault, but it really isn't entirely our fault because the way that the industry has been up to now is like, by the time we get the project, we're three, three months behind. Mm -hmm. There's no, there's no planning that can happen at that stage. You, you're just off and going. That's starting to shift too, with some of the different contracting methods that are coming up and some of, some of uh, the right players starting to push back a little bit. Like you can't just, you know, sorry, CMGC, you can't just give us a project and, and tell us we already missed the, missed the schedule. So some of that's starting to adjust and hopefully hopefully that will allow us to, to pull back and really think about the way we do things. Mm -hmm. my, my favorite quote on that one is uh, Mike Tyson. So you have to give him credit. Uh, everybody has a plan until you get right. punched in the mouth, right? And I think that's, that's the reality that, uh, that we're in is that it is tough to plan ahead when things change in the last minute. And so like the, the predictability and the ability to forecast, I don't think we'll ever be good at in construction. So I think really even just thinking about the strategy of when you should plan and how much detail you should plan and how much flexibility you should plan for is, is as much the battle as it is, you know, yes, plan earlier, um, but maybe plan less even earlier and plan more just in time uh, because we can predict that. Um, and so I think that's part of that whole paradigm shift is, you know, what does it really mean to plan versus schedule versus uh, measure that implementation and, and learn from yeah. it? Yeah. I mean, that ties directly into what Randy was talking about with the scrum approach mm -hmm. and doing the, the short sprints and, and thinking about it differently instead of the whole project, take it in segments. Take it. Yeah. Take it. It's easier to take it in bite-sized chunks. Right. It's less, <laughs> less overwhelming. Right. Right. <laughs> so what's the first domino then that needs to fall for all these stuff to, you know, going back to the practical side of things and, and how do we actually take action on it? What needs to fall first for everything else to kind of click in place? Oh, wow. That's a good question. I have an answer. <laughs> I thought you might, Nathan. Everyone, everyone's an Everyone is an expert at something. Nobody is an expert at everything. Right. 
I think like just having that mindset entering the room, cause there's so much ego in our industry. Right. And, and there, there's a lot of this, you know, lead and follow mentality, but I think part of bringing together a large group and bringing together different perspectives and being more inclusive is recognizing that everybody brings a perspective, everybody brings an expertise uh, and, and that they should be vocal to it, but also be ready to receive, you know, feedback uh, from different perspectives and, and take that in stride and, and learn from it. That's, that's easier said than done right. um, in our industry for sure. Yeah. And I was going to say um, it's a, it's a fight that everybody has, you know, nobody wants to have stuff imposed on them, but we need to start building standards both internally and as an industry. Um, cause, cause standards help us define the guardrails. They help us define that process and the plan. Mm-hmm. And you can also plan what happens if you can't stay on plan. Um, the, I mean, the, the hard part to your, to your point, Nathan, is everybody has an ego. Everybody wants standards as long as you standardize on what I do. So, um, it is getting those people in the room and say, okay, what makes sense for the largest group of us? Mm-hmm. So what's the balance then between being vulnerable about your ability, your skill set, where you fit in and, you know, showing that kind of authentic self versus just being a professional and getting the job done? <laughs> oh man. Well, if, if anyone's ever, ever read the challenger sale, uh, is, is a great book, you know, marketing book about, you know, kind of the, the whole change in mindset from the kind of nineties relationship builder mentality and how that led to so many failures and so many un- other industries, despite our continued, you know, <laughs> uh, d- you know, belief that, that it is the best way to do it that really, you know, being forward with what you're able to do, what you're not able to do, um, is how, you know, a lot of the, the companies are winning more work now. And especially, you know, if you're working with tech firms and more progressive firms, they almost expect that mentality. So I think sometimes, you know, our expectations of what the customer is looking for may not always be what they are. Um, but it's true. Sometimes, uh, they are looking for that relationship builder and maybe that's just not how you should build for. <laughs> what, what does it look like if it's not in opposition, like in, in real terms, you know, I set up that dichotomy of being vulnerable versus getting the job done and doing what you need to do. But if those are going hand in hand, what does that really look like? How do people know that that's actually happening? Well, I think if it's actually happening, you're going to see those those positive results in the in the movement. I think that um, we, we one of the things we were talking about last week when we were having or having the pre-call for this was talking about empathy, learning the empathy. Um, I think that in construction, we, we talk about a lot not being able to fail. And I think that um, if we set up that environment where we're allowed to, to have failures, to admit our, our shortcomings, um, I think that's where you're going to start seeing that needle move more in that. Yeah, I, I learned a term recently from uh, Brent Darnell uh, about affinity bias. You know, this kind of natural tendency to be around people who think like right. us and act like us and look like us. And it's it's a natural tendency. I, we all do it. But I think true innovation comes when you let down your guard and you let in different perspectives that aren't typically in that included group. And that so much of us, uh, you know, all three of us included, you know, do, do, you know, happen to fall into that majority included group. And it's very, can be very difficult for us to empathize uh, with those that are not in those included groups. Uh, But I think we all have instances where we felt ostracized or felt, uh, you know, or or thought differently than the rest of the group and uh, having that, you know, that confidence and that to, to, you know, be vulnerable is, is a huge, I think, first step that, uh, the more you see folks out there doing it, um, the, the 
bigger they are, the, the more powerful they are and, and the stronger they are for it. And so it's, it's encouraging that uh, as we see others in the industry be forward and, and be vulnerable, that it, uh, it is contagious and it's working. Uh, this, I don't mean this in a callous question. <laughs> Why should people care about it? Like, does it actually do something to the bottom line, showing the empathy, showing the compassion, telling the story and opening up and being vulnerable? Does it, what does it do to the bottom line in the long term? I think it depends on who your customer is. Um, you know, back to that that challenger scale or sorry, challenger sale strategy. It's not going to work for every single customer because some customers are are looking for the uh, the relationship builder. But again, if you look at the success rate of those projects that went into it with rose colored glasses and and did the relationship builder and uh, you know, ultimately did not succeed, I think uh, the the bottom line will show that in the long run. Um, not taking those projects was the right way to go. And uh, Travis, you may have examples or others. I uh, can't think of any off, off, offhand, um, but that tends to be kind of the, the storyline is that uh, those that say no actually end up getting more work because they're getting the right kind of work. Yeah. Yeah. And when to, to your question about impacting the bottom line, I would think in a, in a, you would have to give it time to play out. But, um, you know, I think we all have experience in construction of people, you know, not having empathy or being afraid to admit that they're not going to be able to accomplish a task or, or whatever. So what do they do? They just keep kicking the can. They keep burying it, burying it, burying it. And the project goes south. Mm -hmm. Like what happens if we fostered a, an environment where that stuff came out at the beginning, the mm -hmm. project should just go better. Right. I would think. Right. Yeah. So Travis, you mentioned earlier about the, the competitiveness mm -hmm. in the industry, which is awesome. Right. Uh, I'm hyper competitive guy. Yeah, right, I appreciate right. that. But, uh, how thinking on the stronger together theme, how, how do you maintain the competitiveness, but come together as uh, MEP trade industry and collectively help move the industry together for those standards and get everybody operating on the, the same common language for Nathan. And, uh, you know, here's the standards that we're going to move forward as an industry to mm. help well, I think that um, the, the word you're looking for is coopetition, um, something that we've talked about before. Nathan and I, I've done presentations on it, um, and I think it is kind of the realization, especially from, um, you know, I, I, I don't want to say contractors just our size, but it, it has generally been um, acknowledged that um, even if, if, if myself and my competitor won all the work we bid on, we'd never be able to execute it. Right. So why don't we work together to build out standards so that work gets done right and we have more opportunities moving forward in the future? Because I, I think that it just it does just make the entire industry better, which makes it better for us. Right. The mm -hmm. rising tide and all the all the other um, Nathanisms that we can throw out there. But um, I think that's I th I'm starting to see that happening more and more. And I think that's that's just a mindset. Again, another mindset, another change management. Um, there's just, you know. Unless something changes in the future, which I, you know, from what I've seen, it's not, there's going to be plenty of work. Yeah. Um, so we shouldn't. Well, yeah, the, the stat this morning of it, it takes 13,000 buildings a day between now and 2050 right. to keep up with the demand. Right. And you've got the, sh the shrinking workforce and everything else yeah. that goes into that. So um, if we don't band together, we're all going to flounder. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's where, I mean, shout out to, uh, 
Sean McGuire and, and his efforts through MCAA to get SmackDA and Nika groups together and to, you know, create the, the, the sort of synergies and have these higher level conversations of what does co-opetition look like, you know, between MEP trade contractors. But at the project level, I mean, the, the formal term for co-opetition is IPD, integrated project delivery. And kind of this, you know, what, why have we strayed away from this you know utopian view of well hey we do actually all have a shared risk and shared reward in the success of this project so let's figure out more innovative ways to build it based on these new measurement requirements but yeah we just seem more comfortable doing it the way we've always done it even though we complain about it being broken and being the reason we're in this mess so it's <laughs> i mean it's it is the definition of a dilemma that we're in um that uh, really our own mindset is how we'll get ourselves out of it yeah so <laughs> are the the MEP trade guides are, are you glutton for punishment. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think, I think we might be, I think that's a common joke for any uh, construction business owner is like, why do I do this? You know, for, for these razor, razor thin margins. But I, I would agree. I, we, we're just stubborn, I guess. <laughs> Proud. 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 <laughs> there you go. Uh, so <laughs> what have you seen be effective in helping change that, that mindset? It's um, it's conferences. It's it's getting out and, and mingling with your peers. It, it is um, fostering that, that that open mindset. Um, you know, in the one of the opportunities we had with Nathan's group, kind of the one of the first meetings we had when we were in Phoenix, we started to get to talk to owners, and I think that you're going to start seeing um, a shift to more of you know what they call themselves serial owners, uh, people that are going to you know build and occupy more of the buildings um, and they they're going to want a different relationship and i think that um, that's going to kind of force some of us that maybe are too stubborn or too proud to shift from our ways to to adjust because the the market's dictating that mm -hmm. yeah and to, to your point travis on just the conferences and getting outside of your own bubble like a lot of folks may have these thoughts in their head and think that they're crazy thoughts and then you go somewhere and you realize oh i'm, I'm not the only person thinking this and that other people have done it before and, and here's how they had that conversation and here's how it went and how it played out. And you can start to kind of visualize how you would be that change maker inside your organization. So for, for those that are in the audience that, you know, this is your first time with a lot of these change makers, you know, ask, ask those questions, get into the nitty gritty over happy hour of, you know, how, how did that conversation go? What was their response? What did you say back? How long did this stuff take so that you can you know better manage your own expectations and higher likelihood of success? What's the next step in the industrialization of the trades? What does that really look like? I would say for, for what I'm seeing and thinking about is to, you know, we're, we always are afraid of being commoditized, but I think one of the ways that we will be most competitive is if we start creating our own products, mm -hmm. um, truly take a manufacturing mindset, you know, um, yes, there's tons of different, uh, pumps and, and whatnot out there, but you know, maybe we could specialize on creating some specific pump skids and start getting those uh, spec'd into, into, and that allows us, because it's the repetitive behavior, repetitive process of manufacturing that gets us better, that gets us industrialized. Um, mm -hmm. I, it, it's a, it'll be a balancing act because, yeah, I mean, we don't want to just be turned into a, a piece number, you know, whatever, but um, right. there's, I think that there's enough expertise that comes along with that that skew that we just sold that um, will provide that extra value. 
Yeah, I think the word is componentize, right? Yeah, right. You don't want to commoditize; you want to componentize, yes. <laughs> if that's even a word. Uh, but, but yeah, getting to the this interchangeability is is something that I think the trades can absolutely leverage and and be a key differentiator. Because what really differentiates you is is your process, your ability to bring in different uh, models or valves or other items, but understand how they work within the larger system. And the more that you can create your own rules within your own digital systems, you can really control your destiny and almost do, you know, rapid on the fly takeoff estimates that will even, you know, tell you the quality of that system and give them back more than what they asked for in, in the time frame in this crazy time frame that they're, that they need it back in. But only when, you know, companies have that really good foundation of, if I bring things in, I can very quickly produce a, an output estimate and then actually deliver on that estimate within you know reasonable accuracy. Mm-hmm. Kind of trying to land the plane here. This is one of my my new favorite questions to end the podcast. If I could give you all power, and you could snap your finger and innovate one thing in the industry, what would you innovate? I I'll, hopefully I'm not stealing Nathan's, but I would love to innovate on that data flow. I, I think that it's pretty ridiculous the way that we are still. Um, you know, bidding and transferring information on PDFs and in flat, you know, dead pieces of paper, you know, digital mm-hmm. paper. Um, I would love to, to innovate on that, to, to just have it so that we can, we can receive from design digitally, truly digitally, and we can push back out deliverables at the end of it. I think that would streamline a lot of processes and it would, it would remove a lot of the, um, you know, a lot of that stuff is contractual and risk-based because of the way we've done contracting in the past. Everybody's trying to cover their own asses. Um, I think if we make it a true digital transfer, I think a lot of that goes away. Mm-hmm. You, you didn't start with mine, but you ended with mine because <laughs> mine is changing contracts. The other obvious answer, right? It's, yeah, it's either data or contracts. But uh, no, I, I do think that that is the, one of the more frustrating, especially as a trade contractor, because you're already you know multiple layers um, down the chain and it, it can feel, feel very, you know, uh, yeah, despairing, uh, at, at times, but, uh, I think, yeah, the more we, that we can band together and some of our ideas, uh, in, in Seattle, Travis, at our last workshop were around, you know, submitting bids as a joint MENP team, regardless of the requirement to do so, because you just realize in these types of projects and these types of markets, uh, it doesn't make sense to bid them separately that there's so much uh, integration between the three. So you just start to team up and that, uh, yeah, it may result in you doing slightly less work or, or, or well, really less work in the estimating phase and, and hopefully like less resource work, but you still end up actually, you know, making more higher profit margins. So it gets back to, yeah, how we measure ourselves. Right. Right. <laughs> it's amazing to me. So I've been asking that for the last couple of months and contracts, they comes up, up so much <laughs> in that one innovation thing. It is contracting. I mean, contracting is the, the problem, right? <laughs> Which is the why. It's the what's in it for me right. is, is the contract, right? You know, at the end of the day, uh, yeah, you, you have to make money doing what you love. And the contract is a huge part of how you make money doing what you love. Yeah. And I think some of it's going to change, Nathan, to your point. With the, in, we were talking about with the amount of work. We are starting to see contractors in a position to say no. Um, you know, I don't need your job. You know, if you're going to try to force these contract terms on me, fine, go find somebody else, go find mm-hmm. some other sucker. Yeah. Um, I think that's going to, again, shift the marketplace a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So how do people connect and learn more about what you guys are, are both doing? 
Oh man. So constructionprogress.org, uh, we've got, uh, our next virtual round table discussion will be on December 14th. Uh, and then we'll be back in person in Denver, uh, February 8th through the 10th, uh, for the, uh, AEC integration summit. And, uh, all that information is on again, constructionprogress.org. Yeah. And you can find me on, on LinkedIn is probably the best way to, to reach out to me. Um, constructiondorks.com is my podcast, um, with Trent Leinenbach, Jeff Sample and Jonathan Marsh. Um, we, try to semi-regularly release every other week. Um, those are the best places I to find I get excited it. when it comes up in my feed every time. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, it's here this We week. try to keep everybody on <laughs> pins and needles while we're waiting. Um, that's probably, you know, I, I'm, not as, I'm not as active posting on LinkedIn lately for whatever reason, but that's, that's probably the best way to find me. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for taking the time and, and joining us again at, at MEP Force. Nathan, sorry, you, uh, you couldn't be here in person this FOMO. year. But <laughs> But you have the hat so, on, I mean, so I say it hi. works. <laughs> Again. <laughs> and, uh, thanks for you who are in the audience uh, actually coming in. It's, it's, a, it's a whole new experience actually yeah. seeing people. <laughs> right, right. Well, I'm recording a podcast. so <laughs> It's a little different. It is different. Yeah. So awesome. Thanks so much. And that will conclude it and wrap it up. I think it is now for a programming note. It's lunchtime now. I know I'm really hungry. So. <laughs> That's why we're wrapping probably a couple minutes early. But <laughs> thanks so much for, for coming.